right, now we're ready to go. Woo-hoo. I was I was before service trying to plan on this, and I was like, oh man, this is going to be messy. But you guys have, you've got grace for us people who work here, so we'll, we'll take what we can get. Welcome to Oasis, and now that we are officially set up for the night, I just wanted to tell you that my name is Brennan, and if you're okay with it, before I get into the really important stuff, I need to tell you a little bit about me. Is that cool? We're okay with, with hearing a little bit about Brennan before we get to the, the Jesus guy? Um, <clears throat> Brennan is, how do I say this? Kindly financially s- conservative. In a mean way, some people would call me stingy. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a stingy fellow. You know, I'm financially conservative. I, I don't spend a lot of money. Over the course of my life, I have been this way, and I don't know, I don't know what it is. I know when I look out of there, some of you are like, you're monsters with your money. It's just like it comes in and it goes out, and I just, it blows my mind how you do it. But that is not how I tick. The money comes into my account, and month after month, I want to see my account grow. Like, if the dollar goes down, like, it, that's not how it flies with me. And I made sure when I got married, she was also this way. So there's a marriage tip for you. Finances, struggles, get on the same page before you put the ring on it. So my wife also, some would say, stingy. Uh, we go through this process, and... Uh, I don't know about you, but I worked a couple of jobs in high school. As a pastor here, I work about 30 hours, and some would say full-time is 40 hours. So on the side, I also work down in Sioux Falls as a waiter at the original Pancake House, the best pancakes in the world. Okay, that's my only plug. Uh, I also work up here as a Brookings substitute teacher on the, on the Fridays, because we get Fridays and Saturdays off as a chur- at the church. And for a season, and sometimes still sporadically, I go and give plasma. So, yes, I'm a little stingy. I told you, I like my money to grow. I don't want it to shrink. It's doing enough of a shrinking on its own. That's my fault, and a, and a little bit of my wife's. But I want my money to grow. So I don't know if you're like me, and maybe you would call yourself financially conservative. But over these last couple of months, there's been... Th- been these things that a lot of us would maybe call stimmies. Anybody got a stimulus check? I mean, for us financially conservative people, to put money into the account with doing absolutely nothing, I am like, Lord, you are so good. You provide for your children. I'm on my knees just thanking the God in all heaven. And to be honest with you, I have been blessed to receive all three of my stimulus checks. And as a married person, my stimulus check is twice as much as all of yours. So it goes into one account with two people. So I am legit flexing on the government as they just hand me free money. And then even, I'll make it even better for you. Over the last two years, both of the times I've filed my tax return, I have been lucky enough to receive money back. And that hit the account the same week as the stimulus. I'm telling you, I have never seen my account so fat in my whole life. Like the the commas, okay, it wasn't that crazy, but there was some money in my account. And I don't know about you, but when the stimulus check finally cleared and it magically poofed in there, because it's like, I didn't, I didn't really feel anything. I, I don't, it's in there, okay? And, and when it got in there, I started to think, sheesh, what am I, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> I don't know about you. Maybe you're like, oh my gosh, I need to pay rent this month. Thank the Lord that he actually gave me some money to pay rent. But for me, like my rent was covered. So I was like, all right, what am I going to do with this couple thousand dollars the government has given me over the last year or so? And my personal reaction was one of joy. I didn't need it. I, it was just an abundance but what was your personal reaction? If you were lucky enough, and your parents, if you're still a dependent, were lucky enough to share their stimulus check with you, what was your reaction? Were you pumped like me? Did you desperately need it, and you prayed, and you thanked God? Or was it you were just going to spend it on something? But in that, I have to ask you a second question. 
when the stimulus check hit or the tax return hit or you finally got a paycheck, did it ever cross your mind that this money that has now entered your account, that you could be generous with it? That you could give it? Give it all away? Give some of it away? Did it ever even cross your mind? Because tonight we're talking about the vice of greed. And we're going to talk about the vice of greed and we're going to eventually get to the virtue that is generosity and to get there, we're going to walk over the means of grace that is hope. So if you're sticking with me, turn to Luke 12. It'll be on the screen and I'm going to start in verse 13 and we're going to read this parable that Jesus tells. So John 12 verse 13, it says, someone in the crowd said to him, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus responded, man, who has appointed me judge or arbitrator between you two? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do with my crops? I have no place to store them now. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And as I read through this text time and time again this week, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're like me, and sometimes when I read something, especially in the Word of God, it just, it, it doesn't click right away. Like, I got it, I got the gist, I understand something agricultural just happened here, but I don't get the nuances. I don't understand exactly what Jesus is trying to teach. So I want to give you a quick overview, and I want to run it through it, just give you some of the highlight points so that we all are on the same page moving forward. And if I'm going to do that, I have to tell you that the story starts off with two quarreling brothers. And only one of them may be present, but the one brother has come to Jesus and he has demanded that Jesus tell his other brother to give him his half of his inheritance. And can we all just get on the same page that we have been there, if you're not an only child, where it's like you go to your parent and you're like, you have got to make my siblings stop doing whatever they are doing. We just, you have got to fix them. And so that's what Jesus, uh, that's what this guy does. He, He shows up to Jesus and he says, you have got to fix this. And to be honest, this is what he was supposed to do. In this time, whenever there was a dispute between family members or neighbors, they would go as Jewish people to a teacher of the law. You see, when he addresses Jesus, he calls him a teacher. So he went to the right person and he asked Jesus to fix the problem. But what's Jesus do? He doesn't quite help like the guy was hoping. And instead, Jesus does what Jesus does and he launches into a parable, which the guy's got to be so frustrated. He's like, dude, just tell my brother to give me my money. But Jesus is like, here, listen to this story. And whenever Jesus tells a parable, it's a story that he tells with the intent to teach us something. And his parable starts like this. There's a rich man who is already wealthy beyond many of us in this room. And he is blessed abundantly before this story even happens. But yet in the story, he hits the jackpot. I mean, again, if you're an ag person in the room, maybe you kind of understand the gist of this better than I do, but he has just gotten the bumper crops of all bumper crops. He has so much grain. He has pulled so much yield from the field that he will literally be able to fill whatever storage unit he has that he might not have to farm for the rest of his life. 
This guy has done it all in agriculture. It is absolutely set, lock, and key for the rest of his existence. For the rest of us that aren't agricultural, maybe a couple months ago you remember when the lottery was like a billion dollars? Mega millions was, everybody was buying tickets because you could, you had the chance to win a billion dollars or something ludicrous like this. And everybody was buying these tickets? Well, this guy, he essentially just won. He cashed out, he gets the lottery, and he has so much that his bank account is busting at the seams because it can't even hold all the dollars that he just raked in. But he has a problem. Because he has all this grain, he's got all this surplus, he has nowhere to put it. But he fixes it really, really quick, and he comes up with the solution that he's just going to tear down what he has before and build something newer. He's going to tear all this down and build new, bigger barns, and after that, he's going to retire. <laughs> and I look at you, and I'll tell you honestly, when I, heard this, when I read this story, I'm like, Lord, if you could provide for me like you provide for the rich man, hit me, hit the mega millions, let me rake in the billion dollars, I will... My bosses probably aren't listening. I might quit my job. I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to go nuts. I'm going to absolutely chill out, eat, drink, be merry, and retire. Right? Like, this guy's life is sounding so nice. He is probably down in Mexico every other week. He's hitting Europe on his off weeks. Like, he has got it absolutely set. But God? God's a bit ticked. He's a bit upset with what the solution he has picked. And he ends up calling this man a fool. He tells him, on this very night, your life will be demanded of you. You will pass away, and nobody will get to experience or have what you've been blessed with. And in this story, the parable that Jesus tells, he's always going to tell it for us to learn a lesson. So what is this lesson we so desperately need from these couple of verses in Luke 12? Jesus gives it to us very straight here in verse 15. He says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, and tonight we'll be talking about that vice of greed. And anytime we come to a biblical passage, and specifically one word, we like to joke in the office that everything is semantics. But it is. I mean, everything depends on the word and what you think about it and what the person next to you think about it and what I think about it. So when you hear the word greed, you're coming with your own set of definition of what you think this word is. So some of us in here, it's exactly like we read in the story. There is a rich guy who has it set already and hits the lottery and keeps it all from himself. And you would say, yep, Brennan, that is greed. Others of you in the room would say, no, 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 no. It's, it's not just the rich guy. It's the top 1%. It's those people across the world who have all of this wealth and yeah, they're doing something, but they could fix like 90% of world poverty, but they're just sitting on their cash while they still rake in more. Like Jeff Bezos comes to the mind where he gets a divorce from his wife and he stays number one wealthiest man in the world, splits his income with his wife and she becomes the 20th wealthiest person in the world. And they split their income. That's the kind of greed some of us go to when we start to think. But what if I told you that greed has nothing to do with how much you have and everything to do with your heart and having it? Let me say it again for you. Greed is not about what you have. It's about your heart and having it. 1 Timothy 6.10 says it like this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. Do you see what Paul has said to Timothy here? It's not just money is the root of all kinds of evil. We get this corrupted in the church and we start to talk about money like it's evil and it's bad, but it's not. It's the love 
of money. It's not possessions that makes you greedy. It's your heart acquiring those possessions that make you greedy. So if we're going to push back against a couple of these definitions, here's where I want us to set our foundation. Greed is our hearts saying mine and more. It's when our hearts say mine and more. And to to prove that to you, I'm going to open up the text again. So if you have your Bible, we're 17 through 19. And it says here, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will build, he said, I will, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, do you see what the emphasis is in here? Conservatively, at least 10 times in three spoken sentences, this man has referred to either himself, my, or myself. Consistently, over and over, you can see in his heart, the ideas playing out that greed is about mine and it's about more. The problem isn't that he's hit the lottery. The way he got the lottery is through the ground. If you were to study it and read the text, the man hasn't changed anything about his method. He hasn't planted different fertilizer or plowed it a different way. But rather through the ground alone and through whatever rain God provided, God blessed this man with an abundance. God has gifted it to him. And I will tell you that God is happy he's hit this jackpot. It's not the fact that he's rich that's greedy. There's plenty of rich people in the world who are faithful, incredible followers of Jesus. But it's his heart of greed and selfishness that says, you know what, all this grain, it's mine. And to be honest, I wish I had more. Anybody ever hung out with toddlers before? I am not a little kid person, except if they're Ben's kids. Love Ben's kids. But the rest of the little kids, it's like, yeah, you're, it's, you're okay. And uh, whenever you walk into a room, if like you're at a daycare or if a kid gets a new toy or if it's like Christmas, you could have a back and forth conversation with two toddlers over one toy that literally involves one word. Mine, 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 mine. It's back and forth and it will drive me absolutely crazy. And to be honest, some of us, including myself, when it comes to greed, we sound like toddlers, toddlers but we use better language. And I say, it's, it's my stuff. It's my time. They're my talents. It's my account. I worked for it. I deserve it. And we sound like toddlers. We just use fancier words. And there's more. To open up verse 15, Jesus says, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. And when we hear that, maybe you start to take a defensive position. You know, if you're going to be on guard, you picture maybe like your guard tower or you're backed into a corner, you're kind of scoping the room out so you know everything's in front of you. No sneak attacks, no nothing like that. And being on our guard a lot of times puts us in a defensive position. But rather, when Jesus is teaching this, he uses the word philosophy. And it's this word to take action against. So Jesus is not calling us to be on our guard in a defensive position, but to be on the offensive, to take back the area which greed is trying to steal from us. And the reason this distinction is so important, defense versus offense, is because greed often wears a mask. Especially in our American consumeristic culture. If we were to go back to the stimulus check, and I was to tell you, hey, what'd you do with it? And you said, you know what, Brennan, I was very financially conservative and smart, and I didn't blow it, I saved it. And you would say, I put it in my bank account. Or you can say, with my stimulus check, I invested it. 
this fancy word we're going to throw around. I put it back into the system. I put it into a business. I put it into whatever, and it's now making me more money. Or you could say, I spent it, the whole lot of it. I don't know where it went. It was like in one day and out the other, and I, don't, I, I now have new shoes. But uh, I, I spent my stimulus check, and, and in that, you would say, but Brennan, that's what the government gave it to me for. <laughs> Dude, like, come on, we needed to get the economy going, so I spent it, like, to get off my back, Dad. But in that, none of those things are necessarily wrong, right? Saving, investing, spending, but rather it's a heart in it where it says, I put it in my account. I invested it to make me more money. I bought myself more stuff. And culture will say all of those things are perfect, but under the surface, the mask of greed, it's tricking us. We're getting things stolen, belief what, what God has called us to be. And once he says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And you might pause and say, oh my goodness, all kinds of, what is he talking about? I've only heard of one kind of greed. I've only seen one kind of greed. The movies tell me there's only one kind of greed. What are you talking about, Jesus? All kinds of greed. But like I've been saying, greed has nothing to do with what you have, but it's your heart in having it. And your heart, it can be corrupted in every avenue of life. So up here I have three different stations that, thank goodness, we set up or else we would have been super lost. And over here we have time. Then we have your talents. And here we have your treasures. And in your time, your talents, and your treasures, greed is trying to steal from you what God wants from you. Think about today. Think about your time spent today or this week. In any of your day today, were you greedy with your time? How much Netflix did you watch? How much time were you on your phone, scrolling or switching between apps on TikTok or Instagram? How much time did you work or sleep? How much time did you study? How much time did you spend here at ministry team or not? How much time did you spend at church this morning or not? Were you greedy with your time? Some of us, I often get this response when I talk to people about small groups. We have 17 small groups here, and I know there's only three weeks left, so if you're just looking to get plugged in, I I would encourage you to still give it a shot, but our small groups here are these incredible ways that God moves in people's lives, and I will plug them and plug them and plug them because I believe in our small group leaders, and I believe in the work God's doing in our small groups, but I honestly so commonly get the response, but this semester, it's too busy. My work schedule, it's just a little stressful this year, and we step back, and we don't participate in groups because my time is mine. And why would I give another hour to the kingdom? You're not going to say that. It's going to wear the mask that you need more rest or you need alone time or you need, and some of us do, but it's going to wear this mask. And I'm telling you, don't let greed steal your time. Or maybe it's your talents. I mean, come on. Some of y'all, y'all got blessed. It's like God just poured it out on all of you. Like you're good looking, you're good at sports, you're smart, you can sing and dance. And it's like, why? Come on, God. Like, anybody else feel that? It's like, you could have shared a little. So maybe you got a ball. This is is my basketball. It's about my size. It's as big as my hands could palm a basketball. And you dribble the basketball, and it works great for you. Not great for me, but it works great for you. Maybe you throw a football or you run and you're an athlete. And greed wants to tell you that because you have this skill, because you're talented in this way, you're allowed to build your platform and set yourself up for success that you can can fill your pride tank and you can do it over and over and over again because that's your talent. 
Or I brought this calculator. Anybody remember these? Like the TI-84s, or this one's a, an Inspire, because I guess I was just flexing when I bought it. The stimulus check must have hit. But <laughs> anyways, some of y'all are smart, yo. Like, school comes easy. You read the newspaper, the Wall Street Journal, and it's just like, I understand this. Nobody else does, but somehow you do. And it just comes easy to you, but you're greedy with that, and you very rarely take a teacher posture, and you're going to teach someone else what you've learned. Because God's blessed you with a talent and a mind that's a gift, but we're greedy with it and we'll learn for ourselves so that we look wise and we look nice, but we're not willing to share it. Over and over again, I see people take their talents and they waste it. Otherwise, it's your treasure. And this is the money one. And here's what I want you to just get on board with. Some of you are sitting in these seats and you say, if this guy could see my bank account, if he could see this last week, doesn't he know I have school loans and car loans and bills to pay and rent to pay and groceries to buy and gas to get? Doesn't he know I have to eat this week? And he wants to talk to me about greed? Are you kidding me? And I would turn to you and I would say, greed is never about how much you have, but your heart in having it. So young people in the room, I know we ain't got much. I know I am with you. We don't have as much as we want. But the question is, when the account ruffles the dust in the bottom of your bank account, when the check does, what's your heart? What's it saying? Is it saying mine and it's saying I wish there was more? Or is it saying what God wants it to say? Because greed's going to creep in. And once it gets in, it's going to grow. And it wants to take out every avenue of your life that God would like you to be generous. But there is hope there. We don't have to stay there. If you were to continue to read in Luke 12, I'll give you verses 22 through 31. And Jesus turns and he starts teaching to his disciples and he says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or your body and what you will wear. For food, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, yet they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your hearts on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after such things, and your Father knows you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you. And in a handful of verses, Jesus has given us the key to unlock the bridge to becoming, to move to the, vice, to the virtue of generosity. And the means of grace that he has given us is hope. And hope is this weird word. Like I was talking about earlier, we all come with different definitions. And collectively in the room, especially as a culture, we have a definition for hope that is far askewed from what the Bible uses hope as. When I say, I hope the sky is blue tomorrow, you would say, yeah, I hope it is too. You know, I like the sunshine. I need my vitamin D. But I don't have any control over the sky. I checked the weather. It is not looking good for all of you who haven't looked at it. It's going to be cold. But I have no idea if the sky is going to be blue. No idea. It's just wishful thinking. And that's how as a culture and as a people, we start to use the word hope. But the Bible does not use it that way. The Bible uses hope as a confident expectation. 
And I can turn to you and I can say, I hope Jesus comes back. And this is not wishful thinking for me. I have read the end of the book. Jesus is coming back. I could turn to you and use synonymous words like I trust that Jesus is coming back and I have faith that Jesus is coming back. Because these can be interchanged as we use hope. Hope is correctly putting our faith and our trust in God. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, Command those who are rich that in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope Faith or trust in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope, trust, and faith in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Do we see it? That hope rightly orients us to trust God. Look at the examples of the text. Jesus gives you two of them. One is ravens. If you have ever seen a raven, I'm not talking like the purple Lamar Jackson ravens. I'm talking like the bird, the raven. Big, black, ugly bird. And in the Bible, ravens are these birds that are labeled as unclean. They're deemed that by the law, the law given to Moses by God. So essentially, God has called these birds as unclean. So when Jesus says God takes care of the ravens here, he's not saying God just takes care of a bird, some bird, the bald eagle of birds, the highest class of birds. No, he's saying God will take care of the lowest of the low, something he himself even deems unclean. They don't worry about food. They don't worry about storing things up. God takes care of them. And he turns and he gives you a second example because he knows the first isn't enough. And he says, look at the wildflowers. Something that's here today and gone tomorrow. And this one, I mean, Jesus is, he is not playing. He would like to blow you away with this statement. If you know who Solomon is, this, what he has just said, is outrageous. He says, these wildflowers, they're dressed better than Solomon in all of his splendor. And Solomon is this king in the Old Testament, this king of Israel. And God comes to him and he he says he'll grant him one thing. And Solomon says, I would like wisdom. And God is pleased with his ask. And he pours upon Solomon all the wisdom that he could have ever asked for. And that wisdom makes him rich beyond his wildest dreams and powerful beyond any king that has ever lived. And in this book, there is nobody who is richer, wiser, or, or more successful than Solomon. And scholars have sat down and they have done the math. I don't know how, but they have done the math. And Solomon is not only the richest person in the Bible, he's the richest, most successful person in all of human history. If you were to sit down and crunch the numbers between Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and whoever did Apple, what it was, Steve Jobs, or whatever, whoever is another really, really rich guy, I forgot his name. But if you were to crunch all those together, they would not even come close to the wealth that Solomon had. Not even close. And Jesus says, look at the wildflowers. Aren't they more beautiful than Solomon, the richest, most successful person in all of human history? And that's supposed to shock you and give you awe in the same way these disgusting ravens do. But they're both well cared for. And greed, greed doesn't want you to see that. So Jesus helps us. He helps by asking a couple questions. He turns and he says, but why do you worry What has it done for you? And when I read this first set of text where Jesus tells a parable about a rich man and I read a second set of text where Jesus talks about worry, I kind of had a difficult time piecing the two together. I don't don't know if it's, maybe I'm just not as smart, but, but I could not get the two to line up exactly how I wanted until I figured out the side effect of greed is worry. Do you see what greed does to us? Greed says more and it says mine. 
It puts the pressure on us to fill the account. It puts the pressure on us to be the person we, were, we need to be to get the job or finish the degree. It, need, it puts the pressure on us to use every single minute exactly how we need because we don't want to waste it because we only have one life. And it leads to a life of stress and anxiety and pressure and insecurity. And our answer as a culture is we're going to work harder and we're going to try to do more and we're going to fit in more into life and we're going to make more money and now we'll fix it. Has it ever worked? Jesus says, by worrying, have you ever added a single moment to your life? But greed, like worry, leads us to this false premise that we're in control. And I get it. I'm there. I also want control. I, I want to have control over my life. I want to, to believe the lie that greed is feeding me that if I just get enough, if the government would just give me another stimulus check, if I just had 26 hours in a day, if I just was a little bit better at speaking or writing or studying, then I wouldn't be stressed. I wouldn't feel pressure. I wouldn't have anxiety. Life would be better. But don't we get it? There's so much of life you and I will never be able to control. And Jesus recognized it in verse 28. He says, you of little faith. And he calls them exactly for the bluff they're, they're holding. That they can't control everything, but they know a God who can. And for us to get past our state of worry and to move past greed, we have to rightly orient ourselves around hope and trust and faith and recognize that our Father knows what we need. And as we seek his kingdom, he'll give it to you. And when we do that, we finally get to the place where we can start to experience the virtue that is generosity. And this is where we're going. I mean, if you're here tonight and you're like, where's this random preacher guy going? I'm going to a place where I want us as a community to be generous people. I want those who walk into these doors to look at you and I, the family of Oasis, and to wonder what the heck is wrong with us because of our generosity. That as you go and you live your life at your workplace, in your classrooms, in your dorm rooms, wherever you're at, that people would look at you weird because you're such a generous person. That's where I'm going. That's where I think the text leads us. But don't get it confused. Generosity is not just about giving our stuff away. When I hear messages like this, because trust me, I've sat in those, your seats. I've heard the message on greed and generosity. And I've listened to the pastor and I've gone home and I've searched through my closet and I've picked out the four shirts that I haven't worn in six years that one of them has a hole and two of them have stains. And I'll go through my, my shoe closet that has way too many shoes, I'm going to confess to you, and I'll pick the three that two of them I mow the lawn in, one, one of them I don't even like anymore, and I'll pick the hoodie that, to be honest, it's like, why did I even buy this? But I'll donate it to Goodwill. And I'll be like, thank you, like, I know, that was so nice of me, so generous. But really, guys, I'm just giving my stuff, I'm just giving my crap away. Like, I don't want it, and probably you don't either. And this is what our culture will kind of teach is generosity. To give away your surplus. Give away that won't hurt you or affect you. But rather, this isn't a sample of our generosity, but a symptom of our, of our, a symptom of our own greed. That you and I get stuck in this trap where we're not even willing to part with anything that has any kind of value with us. Why would I give away the, give away the pair of shoes I still wear or that I like? Why would I give away dollars I could use? And we start to breed here in the church resentful givers. Because when we're pushed beyond our boundaries, we want to push back. When the pastor tells you to stand up here and tithe, you're like, whoa, whoa, I need those dollars. 
So eventually, if you cave in, you feel some conviction, and now you're upset because you actually got rid of the money you feel like you earned. But in the kingdom, God wants cheerful givers. And to do that, we need to be generous people with a new disposition in our hearts. Remember, none of this is about how much you have. It's your heart and having it. And generosity is our heart saying sufficient, and it's saying serve. I'll come back here to time. On this clock, we all got 24 hours. I don't know how hard you're hustling and you're hurrying and maybe you need to come to our next series, but you only got 24 hours. So it's not about how much you have, but will you, be, will you, will you take a posture of sufficient and serve? Then you know what? I got to watch an episode of Netflix today. One episode. I got to check my phone two or three times on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, you, whatever your vice is. You know what? I got to do that and that's enough. I'm done sticking with that. That is sufficient time for me to give to those things. But now how can I serve? How can I love the people in my influence? How can you meet with people? How can you pick up the word and take time daily to get into it and to read some amount of scripture? I'm not telling you you gotta read cover to cover in a day. Get a couple verses in your life. How do you pray? How do you join a group? How do you serve on ministry team? Because your time, you know what? You studied enough. You worked enough. You watched Netflix enough. You played video games enough. You even maybe hung out with friends enough. That's sufficient. Now, how do I serve? Or your talents. You're an athlete and you dribble the basketball, but you keep building your own platform when God is asking you to build his. Consistently, you're getting interviews or awards or you're a student who gets straight A's and somehow, by some means, you think your brain was your gift. And I get it. I've been there too. But we need to be people who rightly orient it that it's like, yo, my grades, that's sufficient. Thank you, Lord, for those. But now I need to serve. And some of you, your talent is you have the best heart in the whole world. Like, I am envious and jealous. I got to go back and listen to those messages when I see the way some of you love people. That your empathy, the way you're able to get in the trenches and feel alongside others, I cannot do that. And God has blessed you with the heart that is so generous and so good. But we want to be greedy as a culture and say, I'm not going to give away my feelings. I'm not going to get in the trenches with you and walk through your pain and your struggle. I'm not going to get there and I'm not going to celebrate with you because it reminds me of how far I've not celebrated, how far I've come and how far I'm still to go for my dreams and my successes. And we want to be greedy with our emotions, but God has blessed you with a talented heart where you're able to love people. Or it's your treasure. (laughs) I don't know how many of you have sat in, in chairs like this or pews or whatever and heard a pastor preach on money. But I'm going to need you to get out your wallets and we're going to start passing the plate. I'm just playing. We're not doing that. We're not collecting any special offering. Everybody take a deep breath. I won't force you to give away your dollars. But what I'm asking you to do is if I was able to give you one piece of advice, one piece of investment advice, the best piece of advice I could ever give you, it would be to invest in the kingdom of God. Put your dollars where your heart's supposed to go. So much of our generation is plagued by financial stress and anxiety and worry, not knowing when the next paycheck is going to come, not knowing if we're going to clear the next bill, not knowing if we're going to get to that next place. I can't even go out to eat this week. This guy's telling me about generosity. But I I want you to have freedom from financial stress and worry. And to do that, you must trust God with your finances. 
We need to start to be people who give away freely and who are generous with the money, even though it may be little that we have. And where I'm going to tell you to start is so many of us, we need to start tithing. This is like a curse word to our generation. We've grown up in churches where maybe it hasn't been done well. But I'm going to tell you right here, if you give your money to Grace Point, I promise we will steward every single penny of it exactly how we believe God wants us to. But if you don't come here on Sunday mornings or if you have a home church you're involved in, you look around, you see the lights, you see the screen, you're like, Brendan, I think Grace Point's okay. I'm going to give my dollar somewhere else. Fine. I don't, I don't care where your money goes. I want your money to go back to God. 10%, right off the top. That's what the word tithing means. Every single time green comes into my account, including stimulus checks, 10% right off the top to the church. That's a command that God has given me, and I want you to start there. And I want you to start now. The reason I'm asking you to start now is because right now you might make, say, like a dollar. That's your income. Every single month you make a dollar, and you're like, I somehow feed myself lots of ramen. But you survive. How much easier is it to give 10 cents on a dollar than it is to give 10 grand on 100 grand? Because right now you might give 10 cents on a dollar, but if you do that for the next every single month, every single two weeks, for the rest of your life, when eventually you might get to a place where you're making 100 grand, 10 grand has been the practice of your life and God has cultivated you into a person where tithing is just who you are as a generous person. But for the rest of us, if you're already tithing, if you're already giving that 10% to a local church, you're following the command that God has set up for you. Many times he calls us to go beyond that. To give in an abundance. To do more than we're comfortable with. In the text, in verse 33, he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Crazy idea, but that's the command of Jesus. He's asking us to go beyond just the bare minimum. I have a dollar in my back pocket, and I'm coming to a close here. But on this dollar, if you've ever studied a piece of money... On the back, it says, in God we trust. And our culture has put this as the mantra we're going to put on our paper that drives nearly everything we do. You and I, we, we use this almost every single day. Our country runs on the back of this piece of green paper, and it says, in God we trust on it. You could change that with the biblical definition and say, in God we hope. But do we? When you use a dollar like this, are you trusting God with it? Does it just go to building bigger barns and filling more accounts and building more wealth for yourself? Or are you being generous with it, saying, you know what, that dollar, that dollar's sufficient. And now I want to use the other dollar or half of that dollar, and I'm going to use it to serve. To correctly hope and to be generous, you and I have to stop buying the lie that culture's feeding us and start to live by the truth of God. 20 years ago, if I were to show up at your doorstep, and I was, I was trustworthy, I promise, I wouldn't lie to you, I would tell you, put every penny you have, I mean, scrape the bottom of the couch, dig every penny you have, and put it in apple stock. Take every single penny you have and put it in apple 20 years ago, and I promise you, you'll make more money than you can ever dream or imagine. You would be crazy not to take my advice. Every, most of us in the room, unless... You're one of those weird people. Have an Apple device in your pocket. You would be crazy not to believe me. And I'm going to look at you today, and I think you're going to be crazy if you continue to believe the lies that greed and culture are feeding you and reject the truth that God wants to give you. Because culture, culture says it's mine. I earned it. I worked for it. I deserve it. 
God says he's given it to you. It's his gift by his grace. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It's only by his grace that you have it. Culture is going to tell you life is about stuff and how much you can get. Lake cabins, boats, houses, motorcycles. Fill your house and your things. Life is about possessions. But God will say life is about loving him and loving people and about giving everything away. Culture says life is this is it. Here and now. All that matters. YOLO. Live it up. Do you. But God says Heaven is far greater than you could ever hope, dream, or imagine. Invest there and enjoy that for all of eternity. For the rest of time, and I want this for us so bad. I want us to be generous people marked by a hope in God. And for you to start to do that, I need us to ask a question and to ask it honestly. I'm going to give you a couple minutes after we pray, or after I pray, to pray. And they're going to put a question on the screen. And it's simply, how is God asking you to be generous? And I want you to ask this question tonight. As you pray, and as you go through it, and I'll invite the worship team up. As you walk through this, will you ask it candidly? That, God, how do you want me to be generous? Is it my time? Is it my talents? Is it truly my treasures? Where are you asking me to be generous? And then will you ask that question repeatedly? Over the next couple of days, into the week, into the month, for the rest of your life, will you ask a question like this that says, God, how do you want me to be generous? And will you be bold enough, trusting in his hope, to truly live out the intentions and the truth of what he has asked, given you as an answer? God wants generous people. He wants you and I to recognize our hope, our trust, our faith is in him, his goodness, and his provision. provision. You and I were not in control. Worry wants to trick us to think we are. Greed wants to trick us to think we are. But God is in control. And because of that, you and I can be generous people who love and serve with all we got. Pray with me. Father, thank you tonight for your word in Luke 12 and the way Jesus just comes to these people and and he swerves the original questions so that he can answer and speak into what you needed them to hear. And in the same way, God, would you speak through me to these people and whatever the words were tonight, that you would speak exactly what they needed to hear. That we would be people marked by generosity that look completely, radically different than the world. That we will go and we will give of our time, our talents, and our treasures. And you will be glorified. And in that, God, we will store up for ourselves treasure in heaven that will not rust nor decay And we will enjoy that for all of eternity. So Father, we thank you for tonight. And we ask that you you move in this moment of prayer, that you would speak to us through your spirit and we would be able to discern the ways you're asking each and every one of us to be generous as a people who follow you. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.